This podcast was created to educate listeners on the experiences of diverse individuals. However, all opinions expressed by the host or guests do not reflect the overall standing of Tarleton Radio or Tarleton State University. and welcome to Making Space a Diversity Dialogue. This is a bi-weekly podcast where together we'll have questions answered about socially sensitive topics while learning how to create lasting relationships with diverse people. If you've been with us for a little while now, if you've been since the uh, first couple of episodes, you understand that we offer some bonus content and we partner with the Office of Diversity, Inclusion, and International Programs, at Tarleton State University and record their live diversity dialogues that happen here on campus. This semester, of course, it is a little different, but we are offering the same. This episode is actually the first live dialogue of the semester, but there will be one every month at the beginning of the month. So you will be listening to a live presentation that was recorded in front of a live audience as well. This month, we are hearing from Carlisa Pierce, and she is talking about Afro-Latinidad identities and the difference between race, ethnicity, and heritage, which she found extremely important, and you will get to hear that today. This is just an additional resource for you guys, and I really, really hope you enjoy it. She did a great job. So without further ado, here is the Diversity Dialogue Live from Tarleton State University's campus. Okay, hi everyone. Like she said, my name is Carlisa Pierce. Um, and I would like to just share something about identity, uh, an important part of identity in the Hispanic culture and community that lies very deeply with me. And if you're a part of the Hispanic community, it should lie very deeply with you as well. And if you don't see that now, I'm going to show you why it should lie as deeply with you all as well. I always like to present about this topic, and I like to continue to update it, because just like with recent um, Black Lives Matter protests, a lot of my family, my own family, they were very confused as to why I wanted to protest in the Black Lives Matter movement, or I did go to protest. They were always asking me, why that? Why does it matter to you? And it's like, well, because they're fortunate to have protests in this country. In our own country, we don't have the opportunity to protest about our lives mattering when we can't even go get a driver's license that actually says we're black. And a lot of my family members still to this day don't really think they're black. If you meet a Dominican, they're going to say nine times out of ten they're Dominican and not black. Or Puerto Ricans, too. They were Puerto Rican. We're not black. We're not no negro. No, no. And it's very offensive to assume that you're black in those countries. And it could be other countries as well in Latin America. But my own country, it is very bad. It's not, it's not something to be done or said. So I wanted to present on this, and I wanted to just highlight the things that I never really got to touch on before, especially during a time period of protest and everybody shining a light on everybody for their differences and loving those differences about everyone. 
but it's a very powerful video by Victoria. And um, she's an activist as well as a dancer, um, choreographer, uh, poet. She does many things, she did many things in her career. And one of those was this powerful video that said, it showed the world, it is not a bad thing to call me negra. Like, you say it as if you're speaking a derogatory term to me. And a lot of people still feel this to this day, is that negra, negro is a derogatory term. No, I am black. Call me what I am. And a lot of people try to shy away from it by saying, oh, morenita, morenito. No, I am black. You can call me black. That is what I identify as. And that is what we're going to be exploring today is how to identify as negro or negra, who identifies as negro or negra, and how that led to the term Afro-Latino. So today, some of our objectives is not only to educate, but to engage and to also express and to expose. So most of the things that we're going to expose today is the hidden identity of Afro-Latinidad, because a lot of people that I have met over the years have not known Afro-Latinos existed. I get a lot of comments such as, oh, you black, but you just wanted to be something different. Or, oh, you Afro-Latino? Speak some Spanish. Prove it. Or the one thing <laughs> I get the most is, racist comments so pardon my french i get a lot of never speak that one was very common growing up or by my own community i got a lot of monkey and that wasn't very cool growing up either but that is some of the realities that we face is those common things or just people not really believing that I was Hispanic enough or people questioning my blackness, always trying to find a group to assimilate with. Who do I fit in more? Especially here in America where a lot of us Latinos, we have to come in and you either assimilate to the whites or to another origin. Like for me, the predominant uh, race here and nationality is Mexican. A lot of Mexicans have not really seen Afro-Latinos. So for me, they're just, for them it's mainly, and I'm generalizing, and I don't mean to generalize all of them, but a majority that I have introduced myself to, it's very, I'm too black to fit in. Or because they've never experienced black people or Afro-Latinos. And that is understandable. It's not something that has been shined a light on in our community. You haven't seen it in the media. And really, the only Afro-Latino, Afro-Latina superstar a lot of people's ever seen is Celia. And they try to just whitewash her blackness away, too. So that is what we're going to do. And a big part that I want y'all to take away from this presentation, if you don't take away anything else, is the difference between nationality race and ethnicity because you could be mexican or peruvian but what's your race is black white taino like what how do you identify in that category because outside of school i work for the census and a lot of times i have to spend most of my time explaining to people what race is and that takes a big part of the whole conversation because I have to go down a whole list 
of what a race is. In the end, I have to put your country that you identify with. And a lot of Hispanics, they get a little mad at me because they're like, I just told you I'm Mexican. Well, no, you identify white as this situation with Hispanic origin. And then I'm going to put your country. So that is your nationality. You're Mexican-American, but you're white. So let me help you there. Get your privilege. So that is what I want y'all to take away from this uh, presentation if you don't take away anything else. So we have a little icebreaker since there's not many people. If y'all want to just do it together, like this side of the room and then this, well, you know, there ain't a lot of people. This, this side of the room could be together and then this side of the room could be together, okay? So the icebreaker, we're going to do the first uh, question first. And I'm going to give y'all a little time to get y'all answers together. And whoever get it right, I don't know, Turbo will give you something. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so number one. What popular dance within Latin America is also known as the dance of the slaves? Okay, I'm going to give y'all five seconds. Oh, your answer choices are A, merengue, B, cumbia, C, salsa. Okay, we're going to get everybody's answers, and then we're going to see who's, who won. Okay, what is it? Okay, so both the uh, people in the class got the right answer. It is A, merengue. Junior, okay, you was right too. Okay, so uh, merengue became the dance of the slaves due to during uh, slavery in the Dominican Republic, a lot of slaves would see their masters doing ballroom dancing. They could not do dancing because in the Caribbean, um, slavery was a little bit worse. I'm not trying to take away from African-American slavery, but they were in shackles 24-7 in the Caribbean. So they found their own ways of livening up, and one of the things they found was merengue. And a lot of us was the dance of the shackles, because you just stood in that one movement doing a little bit of, you know, just rocking your hips, one, two, because can't really move a lot of places in shackles. So that is what they call the dance of the slaves. It is something that only the slaves created of the island. And a lot of people don't know this, but Caribbean Spanish is very different due to the fact of the different nationalities that were slaves. We had a lot of Africans, and the African languages blended into Spanish. And then you also had Tainos, so that blended into the Spanish as well. Native Americans, like our Native Americans. But cumbia, yeah, that's not our dance. Yeah, we didn't create that. I wish, but it didn't happen. I wish. Salsa, salsa comes from straight from Cuba. I wish we created that, you know, that flavor, that sazon, but yeah. Okay, so question two. I'm going to give y'all five seconds again. And this one's going to be a little bit harder, but I'm going to need y'all to really think. Okay. Which country did not have African slaves? A, Mexico, B, Chile, C, Argentina, D, Honduras, E, none of the above. Going once, going twice. Okay. So the correct answer is E. 
only one group got it right. Yay! So, like that gentleman said, the world is very messed up. I'm going to pardon his French. The world is very messed up. You're fine. Um, the world is very messed up. So, in that case, during the transatlantic slave trade, boats reached all across South America, Latin America, however you choose to define it. They're the same thing. Um, so, they reached Mexico. They A lot of the slaves generated in the tip of Mexico. You can see the general, uh, you know, the remnants of slave trade in the through like the tip of Mexico. It's a lot of, one of my Mexican friends who's from there actually gave me, cause we were eating platanos one day and they gave me a little term that the Mexicans like there like to call the dark skins and they don't identify them as black, but we're not gonna use that term for recording purposes. But if y'all know it, or if you have a Mexican friend, ask them. No, it's not, it's not like the hard R, but it, you can ask Turbo after the conversation. Yay. Okay. So moving forward, I like the fact that everybody, did y'all have fun? Did that break the ice on, like, I, I get no guesses from here. Okay. So over here, this little clip I'm showing is basically, as it says up top, the transatlantic slave trade within two minutes. And as I'm talking, you can just watch that video. And by the time I'm finished, there's going to be a little bit more of the video left to play because I do want to grab y'all to grasp the full extent of the slave trade. And look at the particular regions that the slave trade is going and conducting in. All of it is predominantly to Latin America, South America, and it is going to continue like that for a little while. So... Be prepared, you're gonna see like a couple, two, a one or two ships going to North America. Well, correctly stated, the United States. And after that, it really just, it speeds up gradually, but not very as much as Latin and South America. So some historical touch points I want to grasp while you're watching the video is, before the slave trade, there was early African influence within Spain. You know, you have our Spanish conquistadors, and but they also underwent a little African influence. And that's due to the fact that they were conquered by the Moors. And the Moors were a population that was based in northern Africa. And with them conquering Spain, they brought a number of things to influence their culture, such as language, food, and art. Uh, they taught the Spanish how to wash. They brought the um, they brought soap over to Spain, which was very interesting finding that out. Um, but uh, one of the biggest things that I love about the early influence, uh, the early African influence, was the contribution to language, such as words as in Arabic, it's sukar, and in Spanish, it's azúcar. So you see the very similarities there. The little It was throughout the language, there's so many similarities through that. 
Okay, in the transatlantic slave trade, just a couple key factors and touch points. Uh, roughly, roughly estimated over 10 million slaves transported to Latin America. And why they say roughly estimated is because if you can look at the screen, um, the abolish of the Atlantic slave trade was, um, 1807, 1835, right? But illegal trade continued into the 1860s. And why they say they're roughly estimated is because back then, a lot of stuff was done under the books. So after slavery was abolished, it took years until countries actually got independent. And even within, you, um, people who still owned palenques, they still had illegal slave trade because they needed people. After slavery was abolished, they still needed people to work their farms and plantations. So illegal slave trade continued. You don't really, we're really estimating on when it stopped. We don't really know when it stopped. So that's why we a lot of historians have roughly estimated. And I just say roughly estimated because nothing is really set. And so I just want to make sure that that is clear. And that if you would like to continue on that research, you can. It's just me to bring that knowledge to you that nothing is ever black and white. Okay. So some post-slave trade demographics. Uh, I like to hit this sheet because it just gives you an idea of how, as he said in earlier, messed up this world really is. And what these numbers show you is the black demographic in these countries. So people who have African ancestry. So Brazil, does, can anybody tell me what is the, if you know it, if you don't, I'll just keep pushing on in five seconds if you can't. Uh, can anybody tell me what is the number one ranking country with the most black people? It is Nigeria. But get this, Nigeria is the only African country that is at the top of that list. The second country with the most black population is Brazil. So, Nigeria, Brazil. That is very far from each other, if you think about it, one is not even in the African continent. So that just shows you how many people this slave trade took over there. It has a lot, as you can see from that number, a lot of black people within that one little country. Well, it's very big. Ranking under that, United States. Yes, the United States has a lot of black people. And but one of the things I want to get you to understand about this list, not even this, is accurate depiction. Because in a lot of these countries, a lot of people do not identify as black. So if you see the Dominican Republic's um, standing and how many people, I can guarantee you there's a lot more of the people that should be on that list. Because on birth certificates and all that, they do not put you're black. The most you can get to say you're black is like, okay, I'm going to put mulatto down. Yes, they still use the term mulatto. So if you do not know what mulatto is, it is the mixture between a white or Spaniard and a black put together. Okay. Mulattoes is still used very uh, throughout the Latin American region. It is still used very widely expressed. Okay, so identification terminology, something that we just hit on, um, is mulattoes. 
actually, you can see through this social class, this is the social caste that the Spanish um, implemented into their colonies to reinforce their power and colonial rule over the people that were there. Um, at the top of the list, you have Spanish aristocrats. But the definition, the uh, difference between the Spanish, uh, the Spanish aristocrats and the criollos is the fact that the Spanish aristocrats were the ones who were actually born in Spain, and then they came over. The criollos is actually the ones who were born in that country, whichever Latin American country they were born into. They were not necessarily high elites, but they were still elites. You can see this, this is like a ranking sheet. And at the bottom you can see African slaves. So now you see a little glimpse of why it is so taboo to be called black in some of these countries because this list defined your opportunities it, um, when independence came around, it defined your opportunity to get a job, your opportunity to get education. And even still to this day, these still do define your opportunities. Because me, I can be in DR. The most I can get is like, I have some cousins there who get $5 a day. And they work on a plantation. They work on a sugarcane farm. So that is all they can get due to... They're darker than me, very, very darker than me. So that is all they can get because a lot of them are perceived as Haitianitos, which is people that come from Haiti. So this list is still, you still see the remnants within our society in Latin America of how it affects us deeply and the deeply rooted pains that we express still to this day. So it is by teaching this and educating uh, on this topic continuously can help break down those barriers for some people because it was just until this year that a lot of Dominicans decided to have that talk of we're actually black. And it is still a debate because a lot of non-black Dominicans now want to say, oh, I'm black too. And it's like, but you're defeating the purpose of us earning our right to be black and us earning rights within our own country. You have rights. Can I have some too? It is that it's opening up that conversation now. So my biggest point to this presentation, the, de the definition and defining of race, nationality, and ethnicity. So race, the Webster definition, the actual definition, a geographical population of humankind that possess inherited distinctive physical characteristics that distinguish it from other populations. So race is something that you see. It is a distinctive trait. Like if you put me and Kennedy together, you can see the distinctiveness between our race. But the beauty about race and the beauty about biology is that somebody can be a race but can come out a different color. So we come of all shades and colors. It's just depending on that distinctive trait that we developed by our parents. So if I have, I've had one of my siblings, we have a dark father and a very light, light mother. She's light-skinned, 
Oh, yes. She's light-skinned. So somebody just asked me if my mother was light-skinned or white. That is what I was answering. So she is very light-skinned. She is still black. But you, uh, from eyes alone, you will not be able to tell that she is black due to certain characteristics that she holds um, that a lot of people in the American society and does not really counter with black their ideology of black. So my mother, she's fair-skinned with straight curly hair, like that wavy type two hair. So you get my, that characteristic has morphed from being black. You know, we, our biology has started to take away. The oldest DNA was found in Africa, but through evolution, and evolving to our new areas, we have developed new characteristics due to those areas. So that is an example of somebody being Afro-Latino, but not being able to see it perception. But if you look throughout this room, you do see different colors, and you can see that people identify differently. If somebody has dark skin, you're automatically going to involve them with, oh, you're black. I'm assuming I'm correct. Nine times out of ten, you are correct. But it's best to not assume. Ethnicity, something that a lot of us get wrong. So, ethnicity, it refers to a membership of a culturally and geographically defined group that share cultural practices, including but not limited to holidays, food, language, and customs or religion. Go to the next slide, please. Continuing on to that. Ethnic identity is also marked by recognition from others of a group's distinctiveness and by common cultural, linguistic, religious, behavioral, or biological traits. So your ethnicity, who in here is Mexican? Just raise your hand. That is your ethnicity. Who in here is African-American? Okay. Your ethnicity is complex. You want to know why? Because... No, you have one. You you have one. No, you have one because African Americans here within the United States have developed their own culture and their own cultural practices. You ain't gonna go to a cookout, dress a certain type of way. You ain't gonna get in. And you don't if you you especially not gonna go to a cookout if you don't know how to identify Kool Aid. Do you just say, oh, I want some great Kool Aid? Or red Kool-Aid, you say red Kool-Aid or a different type of color of Kool-Aid. You do not say, oh, can I have some strawberry Kool-Aid, some cherry Kool-Aid? You say red. They have their own practices, like Sundays, or if you've ever been to a Baptist church, that was an experience for me. So, African Americans, y'all have your own culture as well. We all have that culture, that shared practice of cookouts, Sunday gatherings, and other examples of that, right? So, your ethnicity is African-American, but it also incorporates your nationality into that ethnicity, which makes it complex because you're African-American, but you're also American because this is the only foundation that you know. So, that refers me back to nationality. Nationality refers to the country of citizenship. 
if everyone has U.S. citizenship in here, we all belong to the United States. And if we wanted to say it correctly, instead of saying American, we are United States people. I don't know how you, I put, yeah. So, just like if you're from France, your nationality is French, but if you were an African who migrated to France, you're African first from wherever African country. And then that race, if you're white, whites do live in Africa. So if you're white, that is your race. You're white from Ivory Coast, from France. So that's a complex identity. Yes. So the question was if, um, when I referred back to you can be an African who has French nationality, you can also, um, the question was can you be um, an African with Spanish nationality or French nationality or something of that par. So the answer to that question is yes, you can migrate from France to Africa and you can develop a citizenship there, like they actually give you citizenship, then you can become um, South African or anything of that nature. Like, it depends. Like, I know a lot of places in Africa where you have tribal identity, so that tribal identity will also, you can be brothered in to that tribe. And that also plays a part on your identity as well. It just depends on how you identify. And that's why I just want to hit over some of these key terms because a lot of times we think of this as one singular thing that, oh, I'm black, that's it. Okay, well, where's your citizenship? Where are you from? Can I get more? And a lot of times it is just here in America that we believe that, hey, I'm just one thing. This is one thing. This is just one thing because on applications, it is just one thing. But I've actually been overseas. And this is not just one thing. You have to literally check off these boxes if you have that opportunity. In Latin America, you do not have this opportunity most of the times where you can check off the box of negro or negra. If you identify as black, kudos to you in most of these places, but you will not have the opportunity to identify publicly as black. So this is why this um, topic really does need to be exposed, and we're exposing this identity, although it's not hidden Maybe from other societies, it has always been there. You can hear it in the remnants of music. You can hear it in, you can see it in the remnants of art. Just dancing alone. A lot of this, the dance, such as salsa, reggaeton, a lot of that was created by Afro-Latinos. With the combination of Tainos and other Latinos, we just made a big melting pot of culture, put it together, we mixed it all up, and we have the flavor, as my sister says. Okay, now, the biggest part, identifying as Afro-Latino. There's a lot of key aspects to when identifying as Afro-Latino. A lot of people in society, even to this day, probably in this room, you have ancestry that can date you back to Africa. You can take one of those little 23andMe DNA tests, and you have a map that probably has you a little bit of black in you. That is because we are a big melting pot. But it's a little bit more than that to identifying as an Afro-Latino. Although you may have that little black, like that 0.05% of black in you, it still gives you 
it's still, if you want to learn about the Afro-Latino culture, that is great, but it's still a little bit difficult to identify strictly as Afro-Latino, just from a small percentage of black within you. Not that I'm taking away anyone's blackness, because everyone has a right to identify as what they feel and who they are. Nobody can take that away from you. But when I, when stealing somebody's identity or saying you're something but you're not, it does take away the privilege for those to claim that right to that identity. Concerning, the reason why I say this is because concerning this matter, there are two schools of thought. Afro-Latino identity, you can see through both of these, which I will read, a person, the top school of thought is a person who has African ancestry, so that 0.05% person can identify as Afro-Latino as well. But the second school of thought is no, Afro-Latino, Latino isn't even an ethnicity for them to claim. It is Afro-Dominican, Afro-Puerto Rican. You cannot claim something that you are not because you are not involved in those cultural practices. You are not involved in the way we live, the society that we grow up in, and the overall stigmas that we face. So those two schools of thought are very prominent and is debated still to this day, and it will be continuously debated due to the fact that we do have occurring issues with who gets to be Afro-Latino and who doesn't. And one of the biggest things I would like to touch on is one of my favorite people in the world, Amara La Negra. She said, you do not have to be perceptionally black. Your skin color does not define how black you are to be Afro-Latino. And I say that because you have a lot of cases where you could be white who was uh, adopted by Afro-Latinos. You are Afro-Latino. Those are the people who raise you, those culturally, that is what you are. You may not be black, and you may racially not identify as black, but ethnically you are Afro-Latino. And that's why I really want to stress race and ethnicity, the difference. So I'm going to read these definitions for you here, and one of them is a quote. Um, by Rosen Clemente. She is a PhD candidate in Afro Department of Afro-American Studies. So the first one is the term Afro-Latino or Latina or Afro-Latinx, which is the Latinx is the removal of all gender binaries from the identity which you hold. So if you are non-conforming or you know you identify certain pronouns. That is a certain term that a lot of people uses. And is used to describe a person who descends from Latin America with black heritage, AKA black roots. So that is the first one where, hey, anybody can, who identifies with having African ancestry. So like back, 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 back then, I had a great, 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 great huh, who was black. I am Afro-Latino. People can do that. Okay. The second one is Afro-Latino is not about being black and Latino. Afro-Latina means to be black, Latina. Latino hints why the term Afro-Latino came about in the late 70s. Since Latino is not a race, it is really not even an ethnic group. It is false to say that folks are black and Latino. We are racially black. And then many refer to their ethnicity, or i.e. Afro-Boricua. Boricua is a term used by Puerto Ricans. This is a term of endearment, such as you'll see a lot of Hondurans and other nationalities using such as 
cachacha or there's more like a lot of terms so if you get caught up it is a lot of terminology but i can explain it if anybody needs help okay afro-dominican Often in the U.S., black becomes synonymous with those that are African-American, which then does not take into account the millions of African descendants, black people globally that are in the world and in the U.S. So, as you can see from there, Afro-Latino is a very complex identity. It, I don't really identify as Afro-Latina, Afro-Latino. I say, hey, I'm African-American. Then if people want to ask a little bit more, I'll be like, oh, yeah, my mom, she's Afro-Dominican. My family's Afro-Dominican. Well, why don't you really claim that? Oh, well, because I was born in the United States, and a lot of the people that I grew up around were either Dominican or African-American. And we sort of, in our community, we sort of just blended in Chicago, is really urban, so it's sort of just like a blended, where you have a lot of us who just, we look black, so we're blacks to the African Americans, and we just hang out. The only difference is we black with a little bit of Spanish. That's how they claim us up there. Oh, that's my black brother. Oh, he just speak a little bit of Spanish. He's still black. That's for my bro. He can come to the cookout. And that's how we are. So that's why I have developed my own identity. But over the years, to develop that identity has been very hard because a lot of people will be, they'll, um, I'm too black for the Latinos and I was too Hispanic for my black brothers and sisters when I came to Texas. And so that really made me think about my identity. Who was I? And that is how I developed this presentation over the years is, who am I? Let me define these terms. What are what are people asking from me? Because I don't know myself. And when I ask my parents, they're not very open. They're saying, they, you black. What, what questions you got for us? You black. I'm like, but mommy, I can't relate to my black friends from Dunkin' from Chocolas and eating, bringing pots out the oven or sazon and uh, eros con gondules and it, the debate between if it's concon or pagao, like, which one is it? Like, I can't have that debate with my black brothers and sisters on how we grew up, you know, or with my Hispanics. I can't debate on, you know, a certain things such as how ashy I am. Because I don't know why that was a game back in middle school, but, you know, you scratch somebody, you'd be like, ooh, you ashy, and I don't know why that was a game. Or playing double dutch, simple things. It was very hard to identify with either group because either you're too something of something else or you're too something of that. So this is how that topic developed, and that is when I finally decided, hey, I am African-American with roots that come from Dominican Republic because my family chose to take that leap to immigrate here during a time of pain and sorrow in our own country. And that is how they developed this vast majority of identity. But just to make sure y'all still with me, I got a trick question for y'all. How do you identify a Haitian? Do they count as Latino? Are Haitians Latino? That's the question. Yes or no? Okay. Everybody who says no, raise your hand. Everybody who says yes, raise your hand. 
Only one person is correct. Yay! <laughs> Guess why? Because Haiti, which is connected to DR, which is when island is in Latin America. Latino means you are in a country within Latin America. Hispanic means you are from a Spanish-speaking country. They're still Latino, they're just not Hispanic. They speak Creole French. So if you ever meet a Zoe, be like, hey, my Latino brother or sister. Okay. Zoe is also an endearment. It is also like, yeah. Okay, next slide. Okay, awareness and advocacy. So in recent years, like I've said in throughout this presentation, advocacy and awareness of the Afro-Latinidad within Latin America has become prominent and existent. You have various movements such as Afro-Latinidad, and we say Afro-Latinidad because a lot of times we do not like the term Latinx. Um, Latinx to me, and a lot of other people, such as one of the people um, that I've actually had this conversation with was Melania Lurisa, and She's a poet. If you don't know her, I can get you the link. She's a great poet, a great poet. And she also hits on this a lot of the times too, but not only her, but Elizabeth, she also hits on this as well. Latinx does not offer the area or the exclusive exclusivity to black Latinos. So a lot of us do not use Latinx as a term. Although it is a non gender non-conforming term, a lot of people that use it do not include people who look like me. So a lot of we have developed our own term, Afro-Latinidad. And we have taken out the gender conforming identities as well to where we can just go up to somebody and be like, you expressing your Afro-Latinidad today. Yes, girl, yes. Whoever. Yes, they, them, them, theirs, yes. Afro-Latinidad, that is a movement where we express and we uh, take down and take back our blackness. You can find that movement on Instagram. And that is another, just another school of thought that is goes into Afro-Latino experience is that a lot of the times when you have platforms such as La Raza and all that, it doesn't include us, but we do have a form of it. So... We don't, we don't want to take, we don't want to overtake somebody else's platform. So we included our own because we also are showing that, hey, I see your platform. I see your platform. I want you to keep that because that is a beautiful platform. And cause just like the red movement, a lot of these were, a lot of these, um, awareness programs were based off of the red movement. If you don't know what the red movement is, it was the Hispanic movement, the workers movement, you know, see Cesar Chavez and all that. A lot of these were based off of that. We found power in the civil rights movement. We found a lot of power in the red movement because a lot of Dominicans and a lot of people in Latin America, we do not speak English. We do not. A lot of people pride themselves in their English, but we do not speak English. So a lot of the stuff we got is from the red movement of, you know, oh, I can go with that, yes. And Mo Momento Negro and Mundo Afro, is 
is something that we very pri- is also movements that we have endured over the years. And all these movements can be found on Instagram and other social platforms. There are a lot more movements that I, I just don't want to fill up a screen of movements, but there are a lot of movements that you can find on social platforms because I know a lot of people only have like TikTok, Instagram. So a lot of these movements have moved to those platforms if you don't want to just Google and actually find the accurate information. You can get a little snippet of it on TikTok or Instagram. So, and down below is some activists that you can follow to also hear their messages, such as Celia Cruz. She has a lot of songs. And if you actually listen to her lyrics, you're dancing salsa to her songs, but you don't hear the pain of the, you know, the, there, uh, there was one song where she talked about her being black. I should have listed the song. But it was one song that just talked about the pain of her being black. But you would never know it until you just think she's talking about heartbreak. But in one of her interviews, she was like, oh, no, I'm just talking about my experiences with being black in Cuba. And it's just very, oh, wow, eye-opening. Amara La Negra, she is a singer-songwriter, also on a reality TV show. She's an actor, um, and she does many other things. But she is a big activist. If you look at her recent stuff, a lot of it is filled with George Floyd and a lot of Black Lives Matter protests that she's been currently doing because that is what she feels to do. And she combats the Latino community of feeling like, hey, you should make this uh, matter to you too because at the end of the day, we're black and we're brown. And we're gonna have to stick together if we wanna abolish ICE as well as stop cop killings, which two of them deal with law enforcement heavily. I mean, I don't know how affected you all are by those two subjects, but I'm affected every day. I just had one of my neighbors, I live in a predominantly Hispanic community, I just had one of my neighbors deported. So this is a reality I face every day, and one of the things I wanna do when I graduate is go to law school to be a freelance immigration lawyer. Just do it for free. I ain't gonna get no money, but hey, I'ma do it for free. Okay, and many of the other awareness programs, and if you need any more, uh, information concerning how to get awareness or how to become an advocate for this community. That's the first step right there, and I'll be happy to introduce you to those platforms because I want everybody to be aware of the help that you can offer. Because just like we want to be of help to every movement we can as black people, like such as Black Lives Matter, we want to also be y'all be a help to us because a lot of people don't know, but we're also the ones that are in those ICE facilities. We are immigrants as well. So we're also fighting for that. But we're also fighting because in the US, we're black. So our lives are at risk for that too. So we're fighting a double fight. And that's why I do a lot of advocacy and promoting advocacy. So if y'all need any routes on how to do that, I'm here. Also got the plug. Okay. That's it. If anybody has any questions, please feel free to ask me. And All right. Once again, that was the live diversity dialogue on Tarleton State University's campus from September 9th of 2020. Thank you guys so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this live dialogue. 
I will hopefully be adding the link to the visual recording of this episode as well, or this presentation rather. And be on the lookout for an interview with Carlisa Pierce separately. That way we can get kind of digging into her identity and personal experiences, as well as just some follow-ups from the presentation. If you have any questions for me or the podcast, if you have any questions for Carlisa even, you can message us on our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at the planet 100.7, and we will try to get back to you and answer those questions. Until next time, folks, stay safe and take care. Radio Network podcast with production from me, Taylor Welch, and me, Carissa Cole. Find more great shows by searching Tarleton Radio Network wherever you get your podcasts.